0: people's poetry podcast with me jimmy bowman Welcome, welcome to episode 4 of series 5 of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry. As I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair With poetry in this country this is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry but those who've never really considered it before i want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you this episode the podcast was back on the road this time to sunny watford and we sat down and chatted to the absolute legend that is fern angel Beatty. We spoke about setting up Right Bloody UK, a brand new poetry publisher. And of course, Fern's brand new collection, The Art of Shutting Up, out on Broken Sleep Books. Really enjoyed chatting to Fern about her new collection. Lots of really good advice on writing and editing poetry as well. So after a bit of, I don't know what we call it, moving about, we found (laughs) found the perfect spot uh, in Watford. Uh, I'm joined by Fern Angel Beattie. Thank you for sitting and chatting to me.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: So we're going to talk about your new collection which is your third one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh called The Art of Shutting Up which is out on Broken Sleep Books. Um I really enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you. you for getting in touch and uh, making me aware of it. But before we get into that, I thought we'd start where we always do um about sort of your poetic journey as it were. So can you pinpoint or remember not not what made you start writing but the first time you sort of became aware of poetry?
1: Yeah, it was actually very specific. I was studying English literature and classical civilization at uni, and my close friend had just passed away. And we were doing a poetry module, and I actually wasn't a fan of poetry at all. Right. <laughs> and because of the typical reasons, like if you're Dead taught at school, exactly. Yeah. Um, and one of the tasks they gave us to go and write away, uh, go away and write about was, animal, like poetry about animal, an animal. And I was like, I really don't want to write a poem about an animal. I'm not feeling it. I was going through a bereavement. So I went home, locked myself away in my student accommodation, and then I was like, I want to write about my friend who passed away. Her name is Nadine. And so I just wrote out everything that I loved about her and I found it so therapeutic. And then at the end, I like put it all together. But it was I did it really in a perfectionist way. It took me like, all evening. Right. And I loved the finished product so much that I kept going with it. And then at the end of that, I realised I had enough for a collection, and I enjoyed it. So I published that. And then from then on, I used that to deal with kind of every bad thing that was going on through my life. I wrote about it.
0: There's a lot of people that uh, I sit down and chat to, talk about um, the importance of poetry as a coping mechanism. What what is it you think? About poetry in particular, because obviously, I mean, you could write a short story, I guess, but everyone seems to to use poetry to not cure, but definitely help with sort of mental health and things like that.
1: Mm -hmm. I think I'm a romantic person, so I'm I'm all about like the visuals and the aesthetics, and I've often been told by people that I describe things in a really specific way that's a bit weird. And I think you have more room to play with it in the medium of poetry. You don't have to like write anything specific or structured also it doesn't require a lot of concentration if you're going through a bad patch you can kind of just let the ideas come to you and they're more as a th- they they come out onto the page more as like a thought process rather than something structured
0: so i think you've uh, normally i ask the next question i'd ask is what was your transition into writing but it sounds sounds like you've answered that so grief in your case yeah it was bit, grief. Yeah. yeah the art of shutting up so it's your third collection <laughs> yeah um I am playing catch-up, as I said to you uh, before this. So I, I read Pendulum, which I really enjoyed. Thank um, you. When One Door Closes is one that off the top of my head in that collection that I really enjoyed. Uh, and then I think I heard... you. I think it was Soho Radio, and I was doing a bit of digging on the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and I heard you read uh, Hindsight is a Wonderful Thing. So yes. That's, that's what made me buy it in the end. Um, I'm obsessed with Hindsight, because I've got a sort of love-hate relationship with it, or n- nostalgia. Yeah. And I think... Um, I think it might have been in that interview you said, uh, you know, d- no, not in the interview, in the preface of your uh, new book, you yeah. uh, talk about um, the past and how you have to have sort of one foot in the past. Yeah. Are you good with that? Because sometimes I like I, I don't want to use the word wallow, but I almost think about the past so much that it bogs me down a bit. Sometimes it's kind of like a double edged sword a bit.
1: I'm exactly the same. Yeah. I've always struggled with mindfulness. I think I'm good at it now finally, but it took me a long time. So throughout my whole childhood, I was constantly romanticizing things that had happened. I think that might be another reason I'm into poetry. Mm. I've always I always had like rose tints on and I was always glamorizing the past. So yes, I think I am good at that to a fault. Like I'm not really good at being in the present, or well, I wasn't up yeah. until I'd say about the past five years. So in terms of the, the hindsight thing, um, it, 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 I was almost in the preface using it as an excuse like th- I have to be like that really because I'm a writer and you can't really you can't be present and only think about the future because if you're writing specifically poems or uh, non-fictional anything autobiographical you always need to be kind of looking back to check what's in front of you.
0: Yeah I think that's what love. a lot of good poetry does make sense out of unusual things or uh, I don't know it gives life to an emotion but something you felt already doesn't mm-hmm. it yeah. So The Art of Shutting Up, I think is a great title. Thank you. Um, For anyone who's not aware of it, could you sort of briefly explain what this collection explores?
1: Yes, so the collection came about not intentionally. Again, I was writing after types of heartbreak, so whether they were romantic or actually, to be honest, a lot of them, most of them were romantic in this book. So I realised that there was a theme among them and I was always writing when I was not happy um, and that was because if I was happy in a relationship I wouldn't need to write I'd be too busy living and then when I was writing I kind of (laughs) made me assess the those relationships that I were in and they weren't very healthy they were kind of toxic through my own fault like I went through a phase of like going after unattainable women either like straight or involved I'm not proud of it (laughs) I'm well past it now um and I realized the reason that I was writing was because due to the nature of our relationship I couldn't say a lot of these things so yeah. I'd learnt the art of shutting up and instead I'd created like a book out of it so it was saying all the things that I couldn't say to these people
0: nice so like a almost like a Pandora's box for <laughs> words, <laughs> yeah sort of. yeah yeah cool the the preface was one of the best bits it's not often you say that about oh, thank a you a book. I enjoyed reading it but I was going to talk to you because you said it's almost like you create this dream world I think you you call it 35 millimeter world yeah. um um but you can't write when you're unhappy as you have just mentioned that's uh I, I don't can't know. Write, I don't write when I'm happy well, sorry when you're happy yeah. yeah that's um I don't know I don't know I, I thought about my own writing I thought can I write when I'm happy and I think you might be right I think you might be onto something there
1: yeah so obviously there's a fine line I mean if you're so unhappy that <laughs> I've been in like some dark places where I can't do anything yeah. but I think it's a way of kind of making sense of my uh more negative emotions when I'm happy I'm just too busy focused on life like I don't want to sit and because writing is very solitary and I'm quite an introvert people always find it hard to believe but I, I love spending time on my my own and like locking myself away and writing but if you've got a good life or you're going through a particularly good time you just want to be out there living so yeah I noticed that I was either loving in mm. a healthy way or writing about loving
0: yeah and I, I love the bit um it sort of starts off you talking about your uh, almost infatuation with women, everything you know about them, like the different types of relationship you have with women, the women that have been in your life, um, unattainable women, as you were talking about <laughs> just then. But you, you know, you talk about this intrinsic, deep-rooted sort of love for them, and it's—I don't know—it's just I've never heard anyone speak about something with such passion at the start of a book before. Yeah,
1: I'm obsessed with women, obsessed. Like from from childhood, I don't think that anything I've done has not been shaped. In some way or form, by the way I feel about a particular woman, Mm. Um, and I think that started through my relationship with my mum. Um, She was a single parent. I was stayed really close with my dad. He saw me all the time. But in terms of our living situation, it was just me and my mum. And she was 20 when she had me, so she saw me as like her little mini me. And she'd like tell me things. She was like, I was like her four-year-old diary when I was a toddler. And we had such a close bond that I think I've always, I mentioned in the book, like I'm always trying to replicate the comfort of the womb in like the relationships I seek out.
0: Yeah, no, it was re- it was really interesting and kind of just made me think, wow, I, I wish I loved something as much as <laughs> <laughs> as fan loves women. Um throughout the the book as well, you, you sort of yeah, quite a few different forms of, of poetry have gone into it. And one thing I noticed is that uh, you've got a few sort of prose style mm. poems in there. Is that something you're conscious of doing now? I mean like three collections in. Do you do you think about form a bit more? As, as a poet when you're putting it together I
1: think it's the opposite I think I found myself moving into other forms of writing right. so I was thinking less about form I was just writing as like prose yeah. I w- wasn't putting as much thought into it I did a lot in my first and second collection and then um, I found myself kind of moving more into the depth of what I was saying um, and I mentioned for anyone who's got me on social media or I've, I've said like for the for for the foreseeable, this is my third and final. I mean, I doubt that. Yeah. Um. Because I love poetry, but considering I've moved on to having my own publishing company now, and I'm working with other poets, it's given me room to move on to other forms of writing. So, yeah, it's kind of like the opposite. I've thought less about form.
0: Right. Okay. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Though, yeah. It prose poetry, or prose in poetry collections, gets a bit of a hard time sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I quite like it. I don't know. Uh, we were talking about. Um, Anthony Anafaguru and yeah. uh, I don't know if you know Raymond Antrobus. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So they would do. He gave
1: a quote for Ollie's book. He's yeah, a great guy, yeah, yeah.
0: They were doing uh, poems for lockdown. I think uh, live on their Instagram, sort of every Thursday. I think it was. Uh, I discovered so so many sort of different poets and, and single poems through those two. But uh, one of the things they read was by Kai Miller. Uh, and it was a prose poem about mermaids, and it was linked to the British Empire, and it was it was some uh, real law or something that, that, that said you know mermaids couldn't do this, that, or the other, and it was it was real. Really, and he wrote this Love poem like about that. you know how ridiculous the empire was, but yeah. he used that ridiculous law as the base, and that was a prose poem. And I thought actually I've not I've not read much prose poetry, um, so I bought a book. I've not read it yet. It's like the Penguin Book of Prose Poetry. Oh okay. Um, but what is it that you enjoy about prose poetry? Why do you feel that it's a good fit for? Because I I I, am, I agree now. I quite enjoy reading mm-hmm. it. Uh, but I remember when I first sort of started reading poetry, and you think, well, this isn't poetry. This is this is just a little bit of writing.
1: Yeah, I think. Um The the reason I like it is because I'm someone who's quite aware of who will be reading my poetry when I'm writing. Um, Not in terms of a wider audience, but like my friends and family. And I know that a lot of them aren't specifically into poetry or have just got into poetry through me. So it's kind of a way for them to open my book and be like, oh, I can actually read this. It doesn't seem like poetry. So I think knowing that has made me more comfortable in writing that way. And also when i was looking back at my first and second books i noticed a lot of things seemed like i was talking in riddles and it's sometimes like sometimes you'll read something and be like no that makes sense people will get it and sometimes you think people won't know what i'm talking about so i think that was just a way for me to break it up with things that will actually kind of make sense to the general reader yeah. so that they can piece together the more uh, poetic poetry on either side of it
0: i've actually never thought of it like that before but yeah i suppose it if it's in prose form you're going to get a Broader audience, yeah. Like so, yeah, so I picked a few poems. I, I keep doing this, I keep picking way too many poems to talk about, and I have <laughs> to whittle it down. But, um, some of the poems in this collection I really enjoyed uh, Cherry Pit Stomach, um, Tough Love, uh, To the Grave, uh, Two Friends, uh, and Forgetting are probably sort of the best of the bunch that I, that I really wanted to talk about. Thank you. Um, Two Friends, mm-hmm. I thought was unreal, like the way you write about, you know, this close bond between two people. But the bit that I was really interested in was, like, the, the layers. And you talk about how it's, like, a, you're that close, that like you sort of peeling back these layers without realising that's what your friend's done and they've, they've got to your core. Yeah. And, and I thought I th- it was just a beautiful way of describing, like, opening up with your friends. I just wondered if you could talk to, like, a little bit about that poem.
1: Yeah, so that one was about um, a bond that was a relationship for a bit. And we quickly realised it couldn't be for reasons I've spoken about earlier in the <laughs> podcast. Um, but instead of it closing us off, it kind of made us closer because mm. we knew we. C- uh, the line in the po- There's a line in the poem that says we knew we couldn't be together, so we know we can't be together, so we always are. Yeah. Um, it kind of removed the pressure of. Uh, definition on us and it was I was in a situation with them where I had to see them every day so it was kind of just like the the more subtle way you get close to someone and how the friendship deepens and now you might not even realize it but you think you've kind of stopped yourself opening up to them and then look back at the past few months and realize actually I confess something to you I wouldn't have done to anyone else you're still managing to get under my skin but in a nice way and there's a line in that that says we have um I think it's our, f- our flames have softened from the fire into the gauze or something softened from the fire into the gauze can't even remember my own poetry <laughs> um yeah and it was how after a night out uh i realized because it was i was on a night out with this specific person and the room was full of everyone i loved and i it made me think when you're at a birthday party and it's yours if everyone in the room, you love them, where do you set your base? Like, where do you put your bag down? Where do you keep going back to? Where do you find your base in that room? And I realised that it was her. Yeah. And I thought that was quite sweet that even all we, how all we'd been through, I knew that she was always the one that I would end up with at the end of the night. Not in that way, but like we'd go home yeah, together yeah. or she was my friend. So yeah, that's what that poem's about.
0: I think there was that, there's another line in there about um, you're sitting in silence and you worrying it was going to be the, the, the <laughs> last time, like, yeah. the last date and then it never was. But... Yeah,
1: learning to be comfortable in silence. Yeah.
0: Mm. And am I right? in saying it's written in sort of couplets each line isn't it yeah which i thought was just a great sort of way to lay out (laughs) yeah that
1: was intentional
0: (laughs) forgetting um again unreal sort of imagery i think that there's a line about so it's i mean it's a poem about you slowly forgetting you know who like what this person looks like in your mind's eye but the line was um something about the, the smudge the smile or the mouth being smudged uh, it just reminded me of you know mary poppins where they uh, they got the chalk drawings on yeah. the floor and then it rains away But yeah. that imagery it was so good uh, just wondered if you could talk to us a bit about that
1: yeah that poem uh, it was someone that i was really cut up about uh, when we ended and then i didn't see her for ages and i was like i'm always thinking about you but actually i can't remember what you look like and I thought that was quite interesting mm. that you kind of get caught up in the idea of someone, but it's not actually them anymore because you haven't seen them in so long and you forget what they look like and that actually it could be anyone that I feel this way about because the attachment was more to the feeling than the person themselves.
0: Yeah, it's a really, really nice idea to explore in a in a poem. I often think this with dreams. I don't know if this is true, but someone said to me, the faces you see in dreams i knew you were going to say this yeah yeah are
1: people you've actually seen
0: but then sometimes i see people i don't recognize so but apparently you must have done.
1: if you, you walk you walk past them on the street and not even notice them and they lodge in your brain but i don't know how, i don't know if that's true
0: yeah see i've had that but when i read this poem about forgetting what someone you you were close to or you knew looked like i was like that does happen yeah so how is it my brain will can remember i don't know joe blogs down the street but yeah, yeah it's an odd one it's yeah an odd one um to the grave short but sweet I felt like it was a bit of a mic drop poem um, sort of you know having the last laugh almost isn't yeah,
1: it yeah yeah this one is like this one isn't autobiographical it's it's um, an amalgamation of a lot of different experiences I've had um, put, put together so that was about how more uh, Coming back to the title the art of shutting up like it's more of a if only you knew yeah. the stuff I actually do. Like, you think that you're my world and because you've done so much for me I would never kind of out you but if actually you knew that I, like, too can play that game. Like, I'm doing my own stuff behind behind your back yeah, as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I won't spoil it but, yeah, it's a great, it's a great last line <laughs> yep. in that poem. Do you find a lot of what you write about then is sort of autobiographical? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, there's only been two poems I think ever that aren't and both have been based on or autobiographical but written from the other person's perspective. So right. it's something that's exactly happened but I flipped it. Yeah.
0: Is that, there's a poem in this collection, I think, that yes. says says this one isn't, or implies this one isn't based on...
1: Oh, I think you're thinking of Black and Blue where I said this one, this isn't, yes. this is written yeah, after yeah, the Black fact. So it, that yeah. is autobiographical but the one that isn't, it's flipped, is the very first poem, She Will Leave My Lips For Some Younger Prettier Girl. Um, that's not written from my... Perspective that's written from the other person's.
0: That was on my long list, you know, to <laughs> talk about today. That was a, that's a great opening. Whatever. Point. <laughs> uh, Cherry pit stomach. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a bit about that poem because I enjoyed enjoyed the imagery in that poem.
1: So I was so fed up of having been rejected by these women that I was going after, <laughs> um, and it wouldn't be outright rejection. Like we would have something, and then it would always end up not working out, and I was. This poems about how i'm kind of proud of myself that my armor got thicker and thicker as i was used to dealing with it and how i could really feel something for someone but knowing that the end was going to come i'd just switch off so the cherry pit stomach was kind of like how i'm carving out my stomach like mm. all the feeling that i have i'm just scooping it out and chucking it away because it doesn't matter anymore and um there's like a little boast in that poem of oh yesterday i got over someone last week i got over yeah. someone in a day yeah. um, and that actually happened not really because it came but i mean you can't get over someone in a day but i was surprised by how okay i was with with something when i because i had to be because again i would see them every day so you kind of got no choice and i was like wow i'm actually getting good at this i'm not uh, this big sensitive drip Mm. that i think i am
0: and tough love sort of i don't know opposite end of the spectrum almost that poem
1: yeah tough love is actually about the same person yeah uh,
0: this person gave you a hard time
1: (laughs) yeah 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 i love that person a lot we're really close we're still really close mates um yeah really tough um and it taught me a lot about myself
0: yeah <laughs> i mean if anything it's made for a, a bloody good collection of poetry thank you
1: it? these people are going to be listening to this I'm like, <laughs> I, have to, I have to watch what i say <laughs> yeah
0: censoring out names yeah so we've got to talk about right bloody uk mm-hmm. so this is what you've started uh, sort of publishing but is there, am I right in saying there's an American counterpart of the same name? There is, yeah. and they're
1: incredible. So Right Bloody is uh, the number one independent poetry publisher in, uh, in the US. They published Megan Fally, uh Buddy Wakefield, Andrea Gibson, um, and I was submitting to them for years because I loved the aesthetic, I loved the vibe, I loved all the... Pu- they would do... Um, videos and they'd put them online I watched them that's kind of how I got into poetry it was around mm. the same time as I started writing at uni and I was submitting to them every year and I was like am I just not good enough uh, so I read the submission details again and it was like oh you can only submit if you're in America right. and I was like damn I've just been like spending all this money every year because that's what happens when you don't read the small print um and then about five or six years later, so this was about last year, I saw a post um, and Derek Brown, the founder of Right Bloody, he put, oh, we're opening an arm in Canada. And I wrote on it as a joke. Can you please just open in the UK? I'll run it for you. Yeah. And he <laughs> DM'd me and was like, are you serious? And I was like, I wasn't serious, but yeah. <laughs> um, and that's how that happened. Wow. So now I'm running the publishing company that I wanted to publish me. So it was a dream
0: come true. That yeah, that is mad. Mm-hmm. All off of uh, shoot your shot guys. Yeah, all off of a, a DM or yeah. comment. So you've got obviously uh Ollie O'Neill who's a favorite on the podcast yes. uh, as your your first poet, your mm-hmm. debut poet on Right Bloody UK. What is it about Ollie? I mean Ollie's explained when we spoke to her that you know um you saw her at the Olivia Gatwood yeah. performance. What was it about Ollie's poetry that you thought, right she's the first.
1: She has a grit about her that she manages to transform into something really light and delicate mm. and I love that because I didn't know I mean I still haven't met Ollie which is unbelievable. I feel like I know her uh, really <laughs> well. I mean obviously I do know her because yeah. we work together but um I got the sense that we'd had a similar not life but kind of upbringing or background and i got the idea that no matter what she'd been through in her life she seemed to ha- also have a way of wearing rose tints and romanticizing things and i love the balance of light and i wouldn't say dark i wouldn't actually say there's a lot of darkness in her poems but grit yeah um and her imagery is stunning like everything's very pretty and i really appreciate that
0: yeah it's what we were talking about uh off mic weren't we yeah uh, about ollie's imagery i mean like i said i kept I kept saying, "Oh, your imagery's is so good." To her the other day, and we were nattering away, it's beautiful, but, isn't it? When when yeah. our
1: manuscript came through, it came through at like four a.m. and I read it, and I was squealing to myself. I was like, "Fuck yes!" Like, oh, continue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I get the same thing when I read it. But I said to said to her, sometimes you'd read some of, uh, poetry and you go, "What is the point?" I'm not even going to bother I know. trying to try and. I know, or now. you
1: just think, "Wow!" Like yeah I'm putting down my pen forever
0: yeah Uh, amazing amazing first poet to have so what what is it uh, what direction are you going to take right bloody UK have you got any ideas about you know the the sort of things you want to publish or I mean you've got submissions open at the moment haven't you
1: yes we do please submit guys if you're listening and you're a poet um, we're open from we're open on the 1st of August we close on September the 30th which is the day Ollie's book what we are given comes out um You only need five poems for the first round Mm -hmm. and then on the second round we'll ask you to do a short uh, video of your poem Um, and then you need to provide 20 more and within a few months we'll work together on a manuscript. So the direction I want to take Right Bloody UK in is similar to Right Bloody Now and it's really just putting poetry on the map not just written poetry but spoken word so each of our authors has to commit to a 20 show tour around the uk they can either do it in their hometown or travel around uh, because in america poetry is huge and yeah. it's as common as going to a gig and here it's you still kind of get the old oh, caroline duffy kind of thing so it's more about um just really combining spoken word and book poetry so that there's something for everyone I'm putting on loads of shows and I just want to get as much diverse, working class poets. Like just anyone can submit and I'm really looking forward to it. We do blind submissions as well. Yeah. So I, you don't put your name on the manuscript. We read everything as it is. And I really want to give a voice to unpublished poets uh, who've never had anything published before. Wicked. To give them a platform.
0: It's exciting because it's not often you hear sort of poetry publishers say, I mean, you, you do get some publishers go, yeah, we, we want to, you know, get unsigned poets. Blah, yeah. blah, But the chances are very very small so having a a fresh sort of publisher i guess that is an exciting opportunity for a lot of poets
1: yeah i think the reason i'm excited about it is because um or the reason that i feel more that way is because it's very new to me i didn't expect to be given this like i said i said it as a joke so it's like why the hell not throw it open to to anyone i'm not having these strict rules um there's no particular person i want to trail after it's really going to become its own animal and i'm kind of I'm kind of uh, like shuffling in the dark a bit, so I'm I'm getting a lot of uh, help just from reading about things on Twitter and opening my eyes to a lot of other publishers, like Aaron Kent from Broken Sleep, who published my book. He's incredible. The stuff that he does, like he's always raising money for charity, and he's always there to offer a helping hand. And what I really want to do is build a connection with my poets, uh, and that's what something Aaron does. Like he'll chat to you as a mate; that he's not aloof or Mm. unattainable to to chat to. And that's kind of what I want to.
0: I mean, from an outside future. perspective, I, I really rate Broken Sleep books. I think they they come They're across brilliant well. On, they, yeah. What they put out is is diverse and um, really for the people. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've got. I like on their website um, on the submissions bit. It, 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 it says, you know, we don't want racists, we don't want misogynists, just, just no dickheads Yeah, in yeah, really. no dickheads. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of time for them. Interesting what you're saying about uh, you want to right bloody uk to have like quite a big sort of presence uh on stages as well as uh, on pages talking to that's l- a poem eh? yeah <laughs> talking to uh loads of different poets the same sort of i don't know if you call them arguments or debates that would come up but page poetry stage poetry isn't it just poetry where do you stand on that
1: i think it's completely different you do think i think different. that's actually because i don't feel particularly confident in stage poetry if I haven't done it for a while Mm -hmm. and uh, there's that whole thing about poetry voice which some people find unbearable especially if they're not into poet poetry like they'll find it more easy to read on a book if they go to a gig and they hear a poet talking in poetry voice which I think is more prevalent in America do you know what I'm talking about yeah 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 yeah. uh, like everything's kind of over dramatic Mm -hmm. and I think I really had I was doing that a lot at my shows my girlfriend who pointed out to me and she was like can't you just talk like you it's actually more effective um so i think the difference can be how you perform for example like the reason we want our poets to be able to do both is because it's one thing being able to read your words down but to reach a wider audience some people aren't book people they need to be like hit by your words on impact so i think it's quite a it's, it's a different skill actually i'd say
0: do you get out much on like sort of open mic? I notes haven't or? for a
1: while. I last year I did quite a few, um, and like the more you do, the better you become at it. But yeah. I'd probably be a bit rusty again now. I Book me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done an open mic for a long time, but yeah, I suppose the only person I think I can sound like is like a really shit Mike Skinner from the streets. Oh no, that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> how yeah, but how popular was he? <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I guess so. But yeah, because I've never had. I, I know what you mean. The sort of poetry, but it's almost like slam you get a lot of that poetry yeah. voice don't you and i've never been able to do that really but that's good yeah. you don't want to do that right mike
1: skinner is much better
0: right stick with the cockney twat voice yeah. then nice um <laughs> so i'm yeah it sounds really exciting right bloody uk submissions via is it your website
1: yep right bloody uk.co.uk forward slash submissions
0: so get those submissions in because that sounds like a banging opportunity <laughs> i might have to do it myself please um, do Self-publishing is something I was going to talk to you about because you're uh, a dab hand at both. You've, you've had three collections, um, two of them through publishers, one of them self-published. Yeah. yeah. So I've never actually asked this on the podcast before, so it'd be interesting to obviously ask you your opinion on it. But there's there's always a lot of debate around self-publishing, whether that you should just hold out for a publisher or whether you should just take the plunge. If you were to give advice to you know anyone sitting listening to this who have been considering it... What, what would you say are the biggest sort of pros and cons with, with self-publishing?
1: I would say hold on to it as long as you can and try and get it published. Yeah. Um, the reason I didn't was because I was quite new to poetry. I didn't really know much about the presses out there. My first collection was published with Lapwing in Belfast, um, which I was really happy with. And they had a set um, cover design, which was white and black, and then you just get a little image in the middle. And loved that. But for the second book, I had a very specific idea of what i wanted the front cover to be because i felt like it was a visual representation of the poems inside it and this became such a big idea and i knew it was quite rare to get a publisher who could so it was really it was really kind of a vanity thing i think or an aesthetic thing uh i knew i wouldn't be able to get a publisher to publish it with the exact cover that i wanted so i was just like Fuck it. Can I swear on this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Too late. It. We both have. Oh, have we? <laughs>
0: yeah. But yes, you can. Cool, so you can. I
1: sketched something out and I got the artist I wanted. And then I was like, I'll just spend the money. But obviously, for, for obvious reasons, it doesn't get the... Unless you're amazing at marketing and self promo and you've got a platform, I wouldn't recommend it. But it got the audience I wanted because at that time, I didn't really have high hopes. And then yeah. I think from a few years later, I was like, no, actually, I'm, I want to get actual book deals now.
0: That, I mean, sounds like an obvious thing to say, but that's always what I thought it must... Must be the hardest bit about it, must be you know, the, the marketing because it's all yourself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you
1: lose money. Like, I had to pay to do everything on that,
0: right? It's a bit like me trying to market this, I guess. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, okay, so hold on to that's your top tip for self publishing, hold on to it as long as you
1: if it's a passion project and you know you've got to get those words out. You can always self-publish if you haven't get, got chosen. Like, if you're on your deathbed and you're like, these words need to get
0: <laughs> They must be released into Yeah, the then self-publish.
1: Yeah. But try and hard out. Have faith.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about writing poetry. I love talking about writing poetry because, I don't know, some people, especially if they're not into poetry, you think, how hard can it be? It's little paragraphs on a page. Mm-hmm. But the, the writing process from poet to poet is so different. Okay. So let's talk about how how you write poetry so when you in terms of generating ideas you've already said that it's sort of based on things that have happened in your life so do you sit down what would be the first thing you did if you've got this idea for a poem do you put it all on a page or do you actually try and write the poem straight away how do you approach an idea
1: so all of my ideas come from feelings. So a lot of people say, oh, it's what I see or what I hear. Mine all come from a feeling, and I try and describe that feeling of how I felt. So if I'm in a situation at the time, I'll be making iPhone notes, like, like writing down lines on my iPhone notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I write about people a lot, there'll be like a separate thing for each person, a separate note open on um, my phone. And whenever I have a feeling associated with that person, the line will go in their section. And then when I'm ready to write the poem or I feel like it needs to come out, I'll sit down, reread all the notes, and then a kind of story weaves out of it together. So then I put it all down and then I piece it.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's quite a nice way of doing it. So you almost separate characters and then emotion and then patch it together. Mm. Yeah, that's quite a cool way of doing it. Um. Do you write sort of every day? Do you set aside, I don't know, 10 minutes or an hour a day or... You know, we all have jobs that we have to do as well. So do, do you tend to write in burst? Is it something that you do on your phone and as you just said?
1: I'd say I write every day but that might be ten seconds. Like I'm always putting notes down in my phone for yeah. sure. Um for the past since lockdown I've been writing every day because I'm I have to make the most of this time. Yeah. Um I would say I'm quite good with my writing, uh, in terms of how often I do it, but the time and the quality dedicated to it can vary. So I'm constantly writing one-liners, and then there might be a period of one or two weeks where I won't make any social plans because I can't pull myself away from something. I couldn't be in the middle of writing and then go out, get ready, and have dinner and come back to it. I'm. I get a bit feral. Like right. I lock myself away. I just eat crackers and like drink coffee and don't sleep until the poem's finished. I become An a old bit like
0: romantic poet. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you find so I don't know. Sometimes I feel that does benefit me, but sometimes I get cabin fever doing that.
1: Yeah, uh, you just need to make sure that the second you come out of that, you've got something light and airy to do. Yeah, yeah. If I've planned it and I, I don't, and I can block it out in the calendar, I don't get FOMO as much. And obviously, I don't do that as much as uh, I can because it's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> never see anyone either. No, constantly writing. <laughs> the, the the big struggle. I mean. For me and for many people i would say is is the editing process Um so like you've, you've got your poem in its first draft what what's the first thing you would personally do in terms of editing a poem
1: so editing is my favorite part i find really? it easier yeah because i think i'm maybe it's because i did english so i'm like when i'm reading someone else's work can open a word document and find myself editing an essay that I wrote for uni which has already been submitted I'm like why am I doing this I, I kind of do it naturally so the first step I do is I try and read it from different people's perspective so I might pick like five people I know read it as if they were reading it and see if it generates the response I imagine they would think or if there would be unanswered questions yeah kind of like that and then I'd read it in the way that I think the person it's written about would read it.
0: That's really cool. That is such a good answer. Nobody, nobody said that before. So, have you have you got like the same sort of five people that you you <laughs> you'd read it from their perspective, or does from, that change? From this book, it yeah. was
1: often the people that I was writing about, and then yeah, I'd say my friends or my family. Yeah, yeah. Are roughly around the same people. That's, that's not a set thing. No, no, it no. moves. Sorry, frog in my throat. Yeah,
0: that's a cool way of doing it. Actually, <laughs> I, I might try that. <laughs> I think I'm just scarred by uh, proofreading from my journalism degree. I absolutely hated just editing. I mean, it's probably because, you know, we were writing local news stories about a cat that had been murdered in the park.
1: Also, I bet you had to fact check. When you've got a fact check, uh, it becomes boring. I
0: still, do you know, I've still got emails from, uh, there's this website called expertsources.co.uk and you get these, uh, like, jobs worth sign up to it. They're like, I don't know, environmentalists. Uh, PR person or whatever so you have to go on this website if you're writing a story about I don't know Northampton dump being smaller than it should be you'd you'd have to contact these people and sometimes these emails still come up and I go ah I forgot how much I hated (laughs) proofreading yeah but to the editing process you do that do you find uh because I've had mixed answers uh to this do you find once you've written the poem you've sort of edited it as much as you can, do you find reading it to people you know helpful? Or do you rather a stranger sort of read it, like when you send it to a publisher and, and they give you sort of feedback? Because I think, I suppose the trap is if you if you read a poem to, I don't know, say your mum, they're gonna go, yeah, that's great, every time.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: or is reading it not part of your editing process? Like?
1: It depends, I don't often. So a couple of the poems in the in the art of shutting up were about my yoga teacher and how I was moving from a toxic relationship into a healthier platonic one and that's kind of what saved me I hate that word I'm saying I'm doing quotation marks <laughs> and I read those out to my yoga friends because they knew her and they got it and I noticed the way they were reading it was different which gave me a lot of insight into how to edit but for the most part no one reads it until it's out on the page and published except for maybe my friend mega who loves to read my work and then yeah her, i think her opinion is important to me but other than that no because i i don't want it to be judged before it's out there
0: that's a fair answer yeah get in terms of getting published what would be sort of your top do's and don'ts for those that are sitting on work and trying to get it somewhere
1: research where you're publishing Mm -hmm. buy a book of theirs or if you can't afford to buy a book then just have a kind of look around on their social to see what you're submitting to that's a big one because you don't a lot of times you have to make a donation or pay and you don't want to be spending your own money to submit to a place that won't accept you due to different work yeah um don't be put off i mean if you logged on to my submittable i think there's like there's 20 rejections per acceptance. Um, you just have to keep going, which I think is easier if you actually love what you do. Yeah. Uh, I would say do look around Twitter and Instagram. No, Twitter mainly. There are so many publishing companies and presses popping up, magazines. If you keep going, just and keep submitting, your work will be picked up somewhere. Read poems that you love. Make a little. Oh, I read this on Twitter the other day. Make read make a little collage or scrapbook of all the poems you love whenever you feel like you're getting uh, fed up or stagnating in your writing process read them find the things that make you feel alive again in your own writing and eventually your writing will kind of go that way and be more likely to pick to be picked up i sound so all over the place <laughs> answering that question
0: <laughs> no it's good top tip Let's keep going I can hear your train of thought it's nice i've rephrased this question for this series it used to be how do you know when a poem's finished but I'm rephrasing it to, for for yourself, how do you know when it is time to leave the poem alone?
1: When you've sat on it for a couple of weeks minimum and you read it and you feel like that feeling that you felt when you wrote it has evaporated and has been explored and released.
0: That's a nice answer. Evaporated, <laughs> the feeling evaporated, cool. So. I end on the same question all the time. It's sort of the reason I started the podcast. It baffled me, in a good way, that uh, millennials and, and younger people were, were turning to poetry in, in 2019, 2018, 2020. The sort of poetry sales went up. So the question is a broad one. In your opinion, why do you think it is that still in this day and age, people are turning to poetry?
1: Because there's less structure in everything else in life. There are more non-binary in every area like political cultural gender sexuality and it's the more fluid form of expressing yourself there aren't really many rules so i think maybe the younger generation are finding comfort in that
0: yeah okay it's kind of the closest you get to i guess true freedom of speech yeah yeah nice so the bit most poets hate doing but links where can people find you obviously the right bloody stuff as well um that's i think you've already said that Did you say it's right bloody UK
1: .co.uk. .co.uk. Yeah. so my twitter is at fern f-e-r-n b-t b-e-a-t-t-i-e my instagram's at fern bt and right bloody twitter and instagram is right bloody uk and the website is rightbloodyuk.co.uk. <laughs> so many UKs. <laughs>
0: uh, so The Art of Shutting Up on Broken Sleep Books. Definitely go and get yourself a copy. I really enjoyed it. I think it's beautifully cathartic. It's considered and refreshingly pure, I would say. There's, there's my uh, take on it. But, yeah, thank you for sitting and chatting to me, Phil.
1: Thank you very much. And pre-order Ollie's book out September yes, 30th. Yes, yes. What we are given. What we are given. <laughs> Do it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This episode's poetry recital comes from Fern, and is a bit of a special one. I enjoyed hearing this one being recorded. Fern kindly recites her poem, Quest for the Right Shade of Blue, taken from her new collection, The Art of Shutting Up.
1: Quest for the Right Shade of Blue To me you are blue, not the mood, but the hue. Have kindled a colour known for its chill, Distilled a word so often stained in sadness with fresh meaning. I can't be sure if it's the clothes you wear or your aura that first decided this for me. Only that since meeting you, I suddenly recall Blue's subtle ghost in so many of my favourite things. The pale milk and petals of the heroine's bath in a TV film that moved me as a teenager. Clementine's hair, electric light orchestra's best song. Viagra flavoured ice cream with my ex in Rome. More recently, decadent sponge of Queen Anne's cake in The Favourite. The way an older woman's veins wrap around her forearms like thick rope. Your overalls. My bed sheets when I first met you. Have my eyes just now opened? Both voted most loved, yet never ostentatious. I've been trying to find the right shade to encapsulate you, but fall short. No chart is consistent. Pantone too broad. Crayola too limited and the rest too exhaustive to list. Like Sky, a shade I almost settled on, I guess you're an expanse that can't be boxed by Dulux. Still, I've employed helpers. Turned into Veruca Salt's father about this. Have got friends who know you helping me decide exactly which blue you are. Have them plunging wrist deep into all manner of lazuli cavities, searching for the sapphire ticket with your name on. I hosted a dinner party whale heart as the main to gorge on midnight flavoured jelly flecked with stars for dessert i found the guests covered in zebra finch feathers have you seen their forget-me-not wings an avian pillow fight by the time taxis arrived even then i was not satisfied steve from work phoned me at my desk last week and asked hurriedly, are you busy run outside a moment and look up i found the color of your friend this is what i mean when i call it quest that even our security guard knows and he has come closest yet. Dusk. Give the man a pay rise. I have spent night googling swatches until blue in the face and that is when I realise the more I check, the more there are to check and anyway, perhaps the only ones worth searching are your denim eyes. How they move along the spectrum depending how you feel that day. A pair of mood ring irises. For when we found each other, I was depressed. Dragged myself from my spring bed in search of a mentor to sign the paper promising me a new future. It didn't have to be you, but you were there. You signed it. It's like I'd been blue for so long I manifested its personification that day, a diamond I did not expect. And you taught me, among other things, that I did not have to be happy to love. Instead, you met me where I was, showing the beauty in every color, Assuring me just by existing that I did not have to rush the rainbow climb but could be guided through it from the shades of its bottom rungs with presence and enjoy the view of a tyre, sky and sea, you are as above, so below. So be it dusk, indigo, periwinkle, all I know is when I think of blue, I don't think of cold anymore.
0: Big thank you to Fern for taking out the time. It was lovely to meet you. It was lovely to chat. Make sure you get those submissions in to Right Bloody UK. And do make sure you go to Broken Sleep Books and grab yourself a copy of The Art of Shutting Up. It comes in paperback or hardback. That is a sign of a classy collection. But as I said, The Art of Shutting Up, beautifully cathartic, very considered and refreshingly pure. Make sure you ever read. A massive thank you, as always, to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at people's poetry podcast over on twitter at people underscore poetry you can find us on facebook people's poetry podcast i'm on twitter jbo that's jbo pens poems and you can email us if you want to get involved with the show if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch it's people's poetry podcast at hotmail.com